Um, Kingline, why did you decide to write that sort of offshoot of the Andy Carpenter books? What did sell more books? You know, I wrote a lot of standalones with new characters, and um, they didn't do as well as the Andy Carpenter's because I'm known as the dog owner, the dog guy. So I figured, why try it? I'm lazy, so I didn't have to create all new characters. I just had to create one new character. And um, so I like it. It's, you know, it's comfortable. Yeah. So David's always kind of deprecating about his talents as an author, but I have to tell you that I think he could have been a career criminal. <laughs> he really has the most inventive mind. And this book, I really wish we could really talk about it. This book has a really amazing plot. Very, very clever. I thought it was fun to hear your better ones. My husband's home rapidly reading the end of it as I am down here talking to you. I should have skimmed it before I came here. <laughs> that's because you're already too broken up, right? You no, can't remember. Not. Well, that's my job. Right. My job is to be right. here and tell David what his book is about. <laughs> but I really, I really like the cast in, um, in the K9 series because we get more of a role for Simon Garfunkel. To see everybody, those of you who read it, is Simon Garfunkel your favorite? Yes. So for those of you who don't know Simon Garfunkel, surely you can remember this. Say again, I'm sorry. <laughs> surely you can remember oh, yeah, Simon yeah, Garfunkel. Simon Garfunkel, who was named that way because I did for a rescue auction the right to be named as a character in a future book, and the woman's name, dog's name, was Simon Garfunkel. So, and I, I liked it, so I used it. And um, he's a police dog. And he and his owner, uh, partner, retired uh, from the police force at the same time. And they started, and they, they hooked up with Laurie and Marcus, two of the other characters, and they formed a K-team to investigate crimes. The only real difference between that and the Andy Carpenter books is it's Corey's voice, not Andy's. Although I sometimes have a tendency to blend the two. Uh, and... There's no trial, which makes it harder for me, because the trial eats up with like 70 pages usually, and so you know, it's, e it's easy for me to write witness stuff and you know, that kind of stuff. Are you a walking manual on court procedure? Come on, I studied it for three years in order to take the bar exam, and you just make it up. I just wait. <laughs> I totally win. Yeah. You would never call the Andy Carpenter books legal thrillers since the word, right? Whatever I learned, I got from the O.J. Simpson trial. <laughs> <laughs> and so, could we also assume that your grasp of actual police work is Zero. pretty loose? <laughs> Compared to my knowledge of police work, I'm a brilliant lawyer. <laughs> but I do like the way that, that he always tells the stories that it straightforward investigative way they start in one place and they move forward logically towards the conclusion which is one reason i like procedurals i really like private eye novels i really like you know police procedurals and legal thrillers yeah i'm for i'm sort of forced to do it that way <clears throat> which turns out for me to be a good thing because it's in a i'm in a first person all the time it's either andy or corey that's talking so I'm following along with him. He's learning as I'm learning as the readers learn. So it has to go from step to step. 
Yeah, but <clears throat> you're not being entirely truthful because sometimes you could, you know, you might want to put that down in case you spill it all right in front. You know, I've been known to do that. It's really embarrassing to sit up here. <laughs> but anyway, one of the things you, you do do in the books is that every once in a while we hear usually from a criminal, we get a chapter or two in a different voice. Yeah, and there's a story behind that. When when I wrote my first book, it was called Open and Shut. It was Andy talking in first person, and it had about seven third-person scenes. Um, some of them flashbacks because Andy wasn't there, right? He wasn't at the murder, and if I wanted to show the murder, I had to have it in third person. So I wrote the book, and Warner Books bought it, and I my first conver conversation with my editor, Sarah Ann Freed, Right. It was one of the all-time greats. I said to her, um, she said, you really love the book, but I have to you have to change it and kill the third-person stuff. Because it's a cheat going from back and forth, cheat on you for the audience. So I didn't know anything, so I said, fine. So then about a week later, I'm reading a James Patterson book. And he does it on every other page. Right? <laughs> so I said, Sarah, yeah, James Patterson does it. And she said, yeah, but he's a bestseller. <laughs> but she said, like, that's one step below pedophile. <laughs> so I thought maybe we had different interests, right? <laughs> so I took it out. And for the first, like, seven books, it, I was gone. And then after that, and Sarah Ann unfortunately passed away after, like, the second book. But I finally started doing it again, and my editor at the time was fine with it. Sarah Ann died 20 years ago this year. Do you realize that? I was in Canada when they called me to tell she was a very oh, yeah. dear friend yeah. and a wonderful editor, right. but yeah. I still remember sitting there by some waterfall somewhere between Toronto and Montreal and crying quietly. Yeah, because yeah. right. the first book was 2002, so I was with her for one or two books. So yeah. I'm sorry you didn't get longer. Yeah, <laughs> she was a terrific. Anyway, um, so we have mostly Corey's voice, occasional criminal elements creep in. Simon Garfunkel doesn't actually get any real lines, does he? No. 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 And he behaves like a real dog, and I think in this book only once does he actually like try to take somebody down, calling upon his police training once again. Not me. Can't remember. No. <laughs> I, I think I usually do at least once. Right, just to show that he's, because, you know, Tara, the, Wonder Dog in the Indy Carpenter series rarely, if ever, um, attacks criminals. <laughs> so that's why Simon is. Have you ever thought about having a little dog, or do they all have to be? Oh, there's a little dog in the next book. Do, right? Right? There's a bug dog, it's a permanent character, yeah. but there's mm -hmm. a little dog is in the next book, which is embarrassingly called Flop Dead Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, All right, it's the little dog on the cover. Oh yeah, I like the cover actually, but it's—I mean, it's cringeworthy, but I like it. <laughs> um, but it gives me—it gave me a chance. It's about a uh, a woman Andy went to high school with who became a big Hollywood star, and uh, she has this little dog. And anyway, she's accused of murder back in Patterson, but it gives me a chance, gave me a chance to have Andy go out to California, where I spent a lot of time in my previous life. And uh, he can make fun of L.A. and the movie business. So. 
you know, I could write like 10 pages of LA jokes without ever having to write anything substantive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had a great thought now, it just went south. Thank you for reminding me about um, the little dog. That's what you said. Come on, read my mind. So what was no. up, Barbara? I'm dying here. All right. <laughs> well, you're not carrying your luck. I've been 30 times. You just found out I don't carry my luck. <laughs> All right. So in order for the K-19 to function, since they're not actually part of the Patterson, New Jersey Police Department, they're right. rather pro-consultants, right? Um, they almost always are going to wind up, most of the time they're going to wind up with a cold case, right? Rather than yeah, an active I had to, investigation. I had, right. I came up with a way that the Patterson Police Department, which is underfunded, had for some reason money in their consultant budget. So they hired the K team to work on cold cases. So it gives me an excuse each time I write a book to have to give them a built in case. Yeah, but cold cases are really interesting as you get to go back and, you know, get work your way through the history. In this particular case, we have two fresh bodies, or reasonably fresh, but there's a much older case where Susan Avery's husband, is it Susan? Or is it Jimmy Daniels? I'm trying to remember. Anyway, he died a long time ago, and he was a policeman, and it's been a cold case, and it's really irked all of the Patterson, New Jersey Police Department that they haven't been able to discover what happened to him. Yes, and Corey has an ex-cop had a special connection to it, like it was important to him. So they let him choose which case they work. So he chose his. Oh, that's right. There's an actual sort of auction where they present several call cases, and they, yes. they wanted him to work one, but Curry said no. The team had decided they were going to work the case of the long day. Right. And these are, these are really Corey's books. So he, he gets the main part of them. When, they, when it's an Andy Carpenter book, Lori, I think, is more involved than uh, than the others. And in this case, it's Corey's book. We're talking to his voice. So I now remember what it was I was going to ask you. In the Andy Carpenter case, it's the only way, the only way to overcome his reluctance to actually work, uh, i.e. practice law, is generally to have a dog. Some, somehow there's a dog involved that kicks him off. But that doesn't have to be true for the K team, does it? No, it doesn't, but uh, there's a different need. At the end of our books, we have to find an excuse to have a dog on a couple. Right. Because <laughs> that's when they started to sell. Well, that was when they started to sell. The book Play Dead was the first book that the dog was really integral to the plot. So they put a dog on, golden on a cover, and it sold, from, by my standards, it went crazy. So, therefore, from now on, every has a dog on a cover. And particularly the Christmas books, because your, your October books have really cute dogs on the cover, generally the Christmas kind of cat stuff. Yes, the, the title and of this year's Christmas. <laughs> All right, so I thought the guy's little yelpers was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> but this book coming up is called Twas the Bite Before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Just, um, but anyway, the KT books have a built-in dog. Right. So there's always a dog on the cover, and there doesn't have to be a dog integral to the story. So it's always Sam and Garfunkel on yeah. the cover. Yeah. Okay. Well, and usually they add another dog. I think they did a year or two. Yeah. 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 Carrying out the isn't there a, a young golden in this book? I think there is a puppy. 
I don't think there is. Or maybe it's not. No, open. it's just a jacket. Just a jacket. They blend, right? You seem to have read one recently. So if you I already started reading this while I was waiting. If you run into Extraordinary. Run into a puppy. Oh, no. <laughs> I haven't read it. You're going to love how it, how it winds up. You know, the most frustrating things about doing these conversations is the stuff I really want to talk about, which is how how the case develops and how full the ending is, you would all stand up and throw your books at me. So <laughs> I wouldn't have to read it. <laughs> oh, there's that too. You're absolutely right. That's this is this is really one of David's very best ones. Yeah. You could decide later if you agree with me or not, but I thought it was extremely clever. So despite the fact that you talk about how casual your approach to actually authoring books is. What is it that was it working in Hollywood so long that gave you this natural bent towards rift and murder and all of it? <laughs> <laughs> there were a few producers I would have liked to. <laughs> no, it, it. Your mind just works that way? I actually didn't go towards that at all. I went towards uh, the courtroom. I, I, I wanted to write a, uh, I was writing TV movies after my career and, and my career in marketing was most of my time in Hollywood. But after that, I was writing TV movies and I really wanted to write a TV movie that a legal drama, a legal thriller, and they don't make them. They really don't. And they didn't then, they don't now. Um, so I wrote it as a novel, but, but it was much more the, the courtroom stuff really attracts me, the drama of it. Right. I mean, when a verdict is read, there's nothing more dramatic in real life than that. I mean, even the Murtaugh thing the other day, which everybody sort of knew how it was going to end, uh, it's still incredibly dramatic. It was so, great television from yeah, all accounts. Yeah. I didn't watch it. Didn't how either. many of you watched the Murtaugh trial? Was it really exciting television? <laughs> no, because we knew how it was going to come out. I didn't watch it. Well, we thought uh, the O.J. Simpson trial people thought they sort of knew yeah. how it would come out, and then surprise. Well, once the jury came back so fast, it was obvious. But I didn't, I didn't watch the trial at all. I was traveling a lot of it, but I saw all the burns, and it's just incredibly dramatic. And that's that's what I was going. Okay. But you know, to write a to write a legal thriller about fraud or you know uh, writing bad checks or something is just not that exciting. So it always it has to be more serious crime. So generally. But when you write your standalones and in the K team, you know, you bring shots into various kinds of criminal behavior. Yeah, but they're thrillers, you know, so I mean, there has to be danger. So if there's. Well, no, I'm not arguing that, but somehow or other, you've learned to master that. I mean, I'm not sure I go for master, but but yes, that's. I like, you know, I, I, I now like to write that stuff. I really do. Okay, so you're kind of thrown into it. Yeah, yeah. But it's the legal stuff that really appeals to me because of my long history as an attorney. <laughs> you don't think marketing for how you look this Along those lines. All right. So what do you want to tell us about how this book begins, if you can remember? <laughs> I, I have no idea. I mean, and how it begins? <laughs> there are bodies in the water? Is that a, What's that? There's bodies in the oh, water? Oh, yeah, there's the water bodies, yeah. Um, <laughs> It was a murder, a cop was murdered, and then a, a while later, his wife and another cop, a, a retired cop, were murdered together on a boat, and they weren't sure if it was a murder-suicide, the second set of kids. Is the book as boring as I'm making it sound? <laughs> there are two more deaths on this boat. 
and one of them, the, the male, the cop, was Corey's mentor. And they thought of him as a father figure. Uh, and they believe that there's a chance that this guy, the mentor, killed the woman and killed himself at the same time. And Corey doesn't believe that's true and wants to set it straight. So he takes that on, and it's related to the to the first cop's murder, so it becomes two crimes that they're solving at once. So if you're going to plot a cold case, case, so to speak, does, there has to be something that makes it more dangerous and whatever it is happening in the present. So is there generally going to be like a second murder or some kind well, of second crime? Yeah, I don't know if... Yes, that's how I feel about it, but I'm not sure that's true. Um, I just can't get away from it. So in other words, even in the Andy books, generally if it's Perry Mason, he solves the crime and identifies the murderer. Um, I seem to have this need to make it there an ongoing threat. <clears throat> so even though the case is about a murder, there's a bigger conspiracy going on that could, you know, that too often the world's in danger. But um, that there's still, whatever it is, it's still ongoing. And when you do it with cold cases, it's harder because there's been a time lapse. Right? So whatever it has been going on, and now it's been going on for years. Yeah. So it's awkward to do that. At least but me. if you want drama, it can't just be shuffling right. through paper right. in the you know, police records department. Right. And you, know, you can't have a DNA match like a Golden State Killer in every book, you know, because right. that's being done to this. So there's really right. no way around having a new crime, a right. new murder, probably, um, right. in order to bring the cold case uh, to some kind of conclusion. Exactly. I wish there was, because especially with the Andy books, it's, it feels like it's too formulaic. Like, I feel like I'm doing the same thing every time. But there's there are things involved that I can't seem to get away from. One, that there's an original murder. Andy defends the person. The person's likely innocent. And there's an ongoing conspiracy that's going to cause danger to everybody involved. And I don't know how to get rid of any of those factors. Yes, but here's the thing you've got to remember. Fans want the books to be exactly the same, but different. Well, Mark Green and I were having yeah. a big conversation about this two weeks ago in regard to Burner is the Green Man book. Fans want it to be the same, but different. So you would miss it if you were to, you know, doing what you're expecting him to do, but you want it to be a fresh, you know, within the confines of, of the expectation. I hope that's true. To do. Well, but, no, that's but true. It, it feels to me like um, doing the same thing too often. But then I look at, like, the child, right? No longer. Oh, well, now it's Andrew. Here he is. I know. And for the first time, I didn't like the last book. It's the first book of his I didn't The one set here in Arizona? I forget where they were. But, um, <laughs> I didn't like it, where a kid's on a bus for a long time, going to see his father. Any, anyway. Um, see, it wasn't, it was the same, but but slightly different. But all the books are I like mean, that. Reacher's in a small town, and he yeah. sees a crime, and, you know, and they're all the same, uh, but different. So I like that. Um, see, and you were already somewhat disappointed when it didn't follow the formula. For <laughs> no. Anyway, I, so I worry that the Andy books are too formulaic. I can't even take credit for that statement. I wish I could, but higher um, minds than mine have proposed that that yeah. is the secret of the series' success. 
which is why Jessica Fletcher is still in Capitol Hill killing people. A town decimated down to a population of two. So going strong. Yeah, I guess it's true that Spencer books also, so yeah. Well, and you know, the Cozy series are very, very much, you know, there's, there's, yeah, you know, but that's what fans, they, they, what, what, I think, I might be wrong, but, you know, for me anyway, you get invested in the characters, right? You really want to see what's going on. Some of them are disposable, some of them come into a series book, and then, you know, they're murdered, or they disappear, or they go off to California, or whatever, but some of them stick. You know, so that's been true for you, right? That, you know, there are characters who have arrived and then they stay because you like them, readers yeah. like them. I think I've, I've gotten rid of, not killed off, but gotten rid of two characters. Oh, you yeah. tried, you tried valiantly with Lori. I mean, you sent her into exile in Wisconsin <laughs> and then you couldn't stand that. So you went, got her she back. came back and she got shot in the thigh. <laughs> In my finest moment, she almost bled to death from being shot in the thigh. So I wrote that the reason the bullet to thigh caused so much bleeding is that it severed her carotid artery. <laughs> there was a real failure on the copy editor's part of it. <laughs> I really could think when, you know, that when Lori went up to Wisconsin, that you had decided that her cycle in that series was done and you were going to bring in somebody new but it didn't no, turn you didn't get too much credit honestly at the end of sudden death i think it was the whole book was had a backstory of laurie trying to decide whether to go to her hometown the police chief in wisconsin mm-hmm. and they go for a walk at the end of the book i literally didn't know she was going to leave until i typed the words yeah honestly uh, and then I didn't know she was going to come back. I mean, Andy goes to Wisconsin to handle a case, and I made it up as I went along. I did not not have a plan for what was going to be with Lori. I, I truly didn't. I think one character we know for sure died is is Andy's father, right? At the beginning of the book. At the very beginning, was yeah. he was? If I remember right, you all remember all the way back. Andy's father was alive in the first book, right? And died that was the most embarrassing moment maybe of my life. You mean uh, worse than the carotid artery? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, worse than when I wrote, they found the victim lying face down on his back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to tell the story quickly. I wrote the, the Andy book, the first one, and it had at the end, it had, um, and at the end, they go to a Yankee game, he and his father, and it's a funny scene. They're joking about betting on pitches and so on. And then the father has a heart attack and dies. So the book is coming out, and we lived in California. And there's there was there was not anymore a prestigious bookstore in California called well I don't know what it was called. <laughs> it was in Brentwood. I want to say Dutton's, but I, I'm not sure. But it was anyway. It was a, a big time bookstore. Very and um, so they invite me for a sign. And they say I should bring family and friends. I didn't have any friends out there or family. So my wife, Debbie, spread the word. And so like maybe 50 people showed up, 48 friends of Debbie, Debbie's, and two losers who happened to be walking in front of me. <laughs> so I get there and they, they tell me it's going to be a reading. So I quickly look through it and I decide to read this scene, the Yankee Stadium. So... 
I'm halfway through the scene and I realize in my head I'm going to get choked up at the end when the father dies. So I spend the next two pages yelling at myself. What are you, an idiot? Your father didn't die in Yankee Stadium. It has nothing to do with him. He lived in Florida. You never went to Yankee games with him. And you wrote the book. He didn't, you know he didn't die. You didn't cry when, he wrote, when you wrote the pages. Sure enough, I get to the end, and my, my voice not only cracks, but it, like, seriously cracks. And it was humiliating. Absolutely humiliating. And it's now 21 years later. If I'm torturing Debbie for any particular reason about anything, she'll say to me, I'm sorry, but I'm at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> it's haunted me to this day. I remember Andy's father. Has everybody read the first book? Yeah. That Andy's father, as you know, was was not necessarily always on the straight and narrow. And at one blow, in Yankee Stadium, David solved the problem of how to finance Andy's. I love this phrase. He's professionally retired. Yeah. That's what Laurie said. Andy gets to be professionally retired because his dad died. And there was all this money. And Andy, if I remember right, he had a brief moment wrestling with himself or couldn't figure out how to get rid of the money without exposing his dad. Wasn't that it? It was the money that Andy dishonorably, uh, his father dishonorably learned, right. earned. He had a, he was an honorable man who did one bad thing and he had all this money. So now we're starting a second book, which is called First Degree. And Sarah Ann thought he should give back the money. She uh, would have. What's that? Yeah. She would yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a deeply moral person. <laughs> yeah, I needed a, a editor more to my style. <laughs> uh, but I I disagreed mainly because it gave me a chance to tell jokes about charities coming to Andy to get the money. Um, so I kept in it for that reason. But it turned out to be... Yeah, but it, it, it's been a running joke throughout the entire series that Andy pays for everything right? yes. because yes. of this money and, yes. and it doesn't leak any hardship on Andy right. uh, to do that. So it's been incredibly useful. Right. It's also useful in that his clients don't have that money. Okay. So now I'm going to reveal to you that Sarah Ann and I discussed this problem. You know, we were really good friends and I voted for keeping the money. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. It was because it was said to be so amazingly useful if you continued the series. Did you actually intend this, the first Andy, to have a sequel? Because so many times people say, you know, I wrote the book and I thought that was going to be it. And then, you know. I never, I never thought about it either. I wrote the book in like five weeks and Warner bought it right away. And they bought it with sequels. So now it, so, so you the first, actually that was the know. first idea I had of it. Is when they said when the original contract included, I think, three sequels, but certainly sequels. I didn't even know I wrote a mystery. <laughs> I literally, I thought it was a courtroom drama. I didn't even know about which, you know, book genres. You know, I was, I was in the movie business. So. And there are no movie genres? A legal, a legal thriller would be, you know, there's, there's no legal thriller section at the bookstore, right? Well, maybe there is here. Not, no. <laughs> Actually, we don't use any labels at all. We just have a file called fiction. 
but and I did so. But anyway, uh, the reason the way I found that it was a mystery is it, Sarah worked for Mysterious Press. That was the uh, imprint for Warner Books that right. they gave it to. So that that's what told me. Yeah, that was the mystery arm back then yeah. for Warner yeah. Books, right? And like every other publisher, there have been all kinds of consolidations and changes and so forth. Mysterious Press has actually come back after a long hiatus. And, has it? Yeah. Still has yet? Uh, no, it actually is now distributed by um, W.W. Norton, which is an independent book, but I think it's wholly owned by the Hensley Publications. So it's changed a lot. Right. Anyway, um, what else do you want to say about about the king team. I've exhausted my knowledge. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think Marcus is an incredibly useful character. I, uh, you know, I blew it because I, I had a typo when I wrote to you. I said that it, it was he was kind of like Bach in the Spencer series, or like Bubba in the early Dennis Lahays, except I had a typo and I called him Bubs. So I was hoping Dennis wasn't actually reading the, uh, the, the newsletter that I sent out. But I'm not. He's, he's incredibly useful because basically we know whenever there's danger, Marcus will ward it up. <laughs> I think I probably ripped him off looking back, but intentionally, and, and they're different. Buck is more, shall we say, nuanced. He's actually more like Bubba. And I drink before the war, the original, Dennis Lahey wrote five novels set in Boston in um, I can't remember. Does anybody remember the names of the Patrick? Do you remember the names of the people in the Dennis Lanes? It's a series. Sorry. Who was the a drink before the war and the four other Dennis Lanes set in Boston? Do you remember who the remember Bubba? Bubba yeah. was the. Yeah. But do you remember who the detective? Patrick and Angie. Patrick and Angie. Right. There was a movie actually made um, with one of the Lanes before. This is all before Mystic River when he changed tanks entirely. Which reminds me that Dennis has agreed to sign his April book for us. Only I don't think he's going to actually come here. So I'm putting it into our system. And if you're interested in ordering one, I would recommend doing it early so we don't run out. Anyway, Bubba is a lot more like Marcus. I never read it, so I couldn't have ripped him off, but I would have been happy to. (laughs) (laughs) You could give a little tip of the hat to those there and see how that worked out. Right. So... Marcus appears in the Andy Carpenter series too, but where did he swim in? Because I can't remember. Does anybody remember when it, when uh, Marcus first appeared? It was one of the early books, second or third book, and I think Laurie knew him and recommended him. And he was there to protect Laurie, wasn't he? At the out, I mean, not. No, no. I mean, he was there to be an investigator. Okay, but wasn't his bond always with Laurie? Oh yes. You know, I I sometimes have a tendency to give characters idiosyncrasies instead of real depth. So so Marcus, I keep adding things to Marcus, like we find out he really can talk. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, he goes to Vegas, uh, he likes classical music, he has a wife who calls him my little Marky. Um, I keep adding those, throwing those things in, and eventually he'll be a Actually, in this book, Corey, Corey may have found romance. Part of the excitement of this book. Yeah, I'm not sure where to go with that. 
But well, you have a natural tendency for people to get married, to the fact you've been yeah. married forever. Yeah. So, don't you think they might move in it? I guess. Probably will. Yeah. So, right. And then what about Sam the Hacker? Because it's almost impossible today to have a decent private eye series if you don't have somebody who's incredibly gifted. Sam relates me back to the comment you made about killing off characters, because he almost didn't exist, uh, didn't survive. In the second book, Sam... Sam had an assistant, I think. Yeah. I don't know if it was the second book or maybe the, maybe the third. I, I, Sam had an assistant, and, right, and he was working for Andy also. And Sam dies at, like, page 80. And I hand the book in, and we and the, it was Sarah Ann or somebody else really liked that character. It didn't Sarah Ann, she was already dead. Might, well, you know, the book came out, I wrote it like a year and a half before. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. But um, but anyway, everybody likes Sam as a character. So we decided to have the assistant take the bullet. And Sam survived. Oh, you know what it was? Sam was doing song talking. There's a thing in some of the early books called song talking, which I really liked and which people seem to really like. So we kept Sam alive so we could continue that. Then there was a couple of reasons we had to stop that. I think I've told this story before. I don't know about it here, but I stopped. I stopped the song talking after like seven books for two reasons. First of all, I'm a music dinosaur, so you know Andy's 35 years old and he's talking. He's song talking West Side Story, right? I mean, you know, I mean, it's good. Um, and I mean, I, I know I've told this, but about 15 years ago now it is. Debbie took me to a a Fleetwood Mac concert, and that was the day I found out that um, hello, that Stevie Nicks was a guy. I, I thought Stevie Nicks was a guy until then. <laughs> um, so anyway, so that was one reason, and the other reason was Carol King's lawyer wrote to me, and su they were suing me, or they were demanding money for having used her lyrics in a book. And they wanted ten thousand dollars. I offered five, and I spoke to a lawyer friend I know in the music business who said I don't have a leg to stand on. So I offered five as a counter, and my agent, unbeknownst to me, wrote, who was on the email chain, wrote to this woman, this lawyer, and said, "How could you take money from this guy? Every dime he makes goes to animal rescue." And she sent a video that the publisher had done of me with our thirty-five dogs. And so I didn't hear back for like three months. And then finally I hear back from the lawyer replying to my $5,000 counteroffer. And she said she spoke to Carol about this. And their offer was now 1000 And they would re-donate it to us for a rescue. <laughs> but I don't want to take a chance anymore with Dog-friendly people. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Song lyrics and poetry, you can't, and extensive passages from published work, you can't actually just quote it without getting permission or, and that also goes in some cases for, and often for photographs and other stuff, but you can't just randomly do that. Um, you know how authors like to have, like, you know, little bits of poetry in the front or other things? I can't remember the exact rules. I used to know this back when I was a lawyer, but anyway, it has to be 
very small, or in some cases, not at all. And some poets and songwriters and all are more litigious yeah. than others. I didn't even know it was Carol King. I mean, it was a J. I thought it was James T. You know, I figured what song it was, but it's one that he sang, and I just used it in like three sentences. Right, so the other character we haven't really talked about is um, David and sorry, Andy's Andy and Lois adopted son. Ricky, right? So, what's up with Ricky? <laughs> He's a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> they, I mean, they have this adopted son. And the problem is, once they have a son, you have to account for him, you know. So he has to be somewhere, and they can't both run off to a summer crime scene. You know, summer, summer camp. At least he's to summer camp, <laughs> and this coming book, he's at, he's on a teen tour. <laughs> I wish, I'm gonna have to make him a genius. I can go to college at 13. <laughs> but he, I think he's had added some extra dimension to Brandon. That was wonderful. How old is he now? Yes. He's aging faster than <laughs> Tara in 2002 was nine, and now she's dead. Ricky is, is aging at a different pace. How about Sam and Garfunkel? He's not going to get much older either. He was, um, I guess he was nine when he retired, because that's his retirement age. And Andy defended him, earned his. Got his, maybe it was eight, and Andy got his early retirement for him. But I'm going to have to keep him at that age. Well, you know. I mean, you can't just substitute one no. dog for another. That doesn't work out. They're just as distinct in personality. Spencer did that, right? Didn't the dog die? Yeah. yeah. Pearl. Pearl. Yeah, I think we were I'm trying to think. In Ace Atkins' iteration, it may be Pearl number four. But now Ace is not writing them anymore, and it's all very complicated. The, the constant swing of people writing. He's writing now. I think that Mike Kupika is taking over for Ace, and Reed Farrell, Johnson, Allison Galen, who will be here in June at some point, yet to be determined, is doing Sunny Randall. Um, so they keep, and then the whole time playing. There, there's a constant thing with legacy publishing, which is to say when authors who had series that readers would prefer not to end with the life of the author um, continues. So there's going to be a whole Tom Clancy re-swing. It happened here. It will happen here in May. And then there's another one with Vince Flynn, which will happen here in September when Kyle Mills hands it over to Don Bentley. And Mark Cameron's handing over Tom McClancy Sr. to somebody here the day after Jack Carr. So it's all, I don't know how, you know, I often Can you think. Why you're still living? And I think somebody's taking up Stuart Woods, if I recall, but I can't remember. But in other words, publishers are happy to continue series if there's a sufficient fan base, but it isn't that people always want to stick with writing somebody else's characters in somebody else's universe. So usually they write for a bit and then they cycle out and somebody new comes in. So Lubick will be good at it. He will be good at it. He'll be very good at it. He's honest as funny as he works. I grew up with him as a um, sports writer for the Daily News. He's great. It's very good. No, I totally agree. Well, um, how about questions? Because we probably exhausted everything that we don't have to say currently, right? Yes, 
So are, are any of the um, main characters based on anybody? Loosely? Or... I mean, Andy is, um, his point of view on life is me. But, so if Andy talks about something, you know, makes fun of something, it would be me. Um, but, you know, he's, I'm not a lawyer, and, you know, he's younger, so, you know, that's the closest, and the rest of it, you know. You know, we're going to talk for a minute about naming characters, because that money then, um, we've raised quite a lot of money, as I said, for the Older and Risking Society, and one way to do it is naming rights, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it, it butts heads against my inefficiency. Uh, you know, I do that a lot, and then I lose the names, and I'm trying to get these names in the book. One woman in Mission Viejo paid $9,800 wow. to be named as a character, and I lost her name. Oh. And it's never been in a book, and this goes back 15 years. Oh, wow. So yeah, sometimes you're, I mean, I just did two golden events from Delaware Golden Retriever Rescue and Yankee Golden Retriever Rescue in the Northeast, and the two auctions combined got $28,000, so it gets a lot. Um, but then I lose the names. So. <laughs> <laughs> We write them down and email them to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of our efficient system. Yeah. Right? No, this one. But, but, the, but then when you've got that, do you, assuming you can remember who it might be, how do you decide which character you're going to apply that name to? Would it ever be, for example, a murder victim? No, I don't do that. Unless I know the person. I okay. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not a victim and it's usually not a serial killer. I mean, I've done that with people I know. When people I know have board names, and I've done that, and I've asked them. Uh, uh, but no, there's there's somebody in this audience actually who was Edna's fiance. Um, no, I. I, I, I just, of Edna, I forgot about Edna. You were going to retire before. <laughs> She's right now on a uh, worldwide hunt for her. Wedding, uh, her location, destination wedding. Another person who could be professionally retired. Yes. Indeed. Right. Another question? Anybody? No. Good luck. Right. Ah, good. Thank you, sir. So let me change gears a little bit to nonfiction. Lessons from Tara. What's your latest lesson you've learned from your dogs? Watch where you walk. <laughs> this time of year, by the way, Lessons from Tara is my favorite book I've ever written. And it did far, was far less successful than any, than any others. Um, I love that book. Um, it, our situation at home, we have, when you go through the doggy door, which is like the size of a lake and tunnel, <laughs> you go out to an area that's maybe, I don't know, 70 feet square cement and then there's a gate that's always open that leads from that out into i think we probably uh fenced in about three acres of woods but they also don't make often don't make it out to the woods and they do their business in the cement area and what happens in the winter is it gets snow covered with snow and ice <laughs> then they do their stuff then it snows again. <laughs> then they do their stuff again, which immediately freezes, and it snows again. It's like this perverse lasagna. By 
said to me, it looks like you're working out. <laughs> Didn't say, what have you done with the real David Rosen? <laughs>
1 through 19. So generally, when we get to this stage, I do like to thank you all for coming and give away um, an advanced reading copy. And I do have them scattered around the back room, but I forgot to turn one up here. So I will go get one, but let's determine a winner. And then while you're signing books, I will go and unearth one. So would you pick a number between 1 and 19? Come on, you've done this before. Don't give me that headline thing. 14. 14. Is number 14 here? You have to look in your book. Ah, it's you. Oh, good. It is you. Wonderful. Thank you again for bringing the golden. So I will go and find you a suitable book and bring it forward. So please thank our author for coming this evening. Thank you, virtual audience, for joining us. And um, don't forget that because it's streaming, you can recommend the program to anybody watching Facebook or YouTube, and there'll be a podcast available too, so you can share it this evening with people who didn't come. But I thank you for getting out of your jammies and coming down to the store tonight. It's really appreciated because it's been much fun for the author and me to actually see you. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.